0: I'll tell you what I love about Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Didn't think I was going to start with that sentence, did you? I'll tell you what I love about Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. I love how honest they are, how authentic they are. I had the privilege many years ago when I was in seminary working for a ministry in New York City where I got to walk into and observe the open Alcoholics Anonymous meetings in the neighborhood where I worked. We had people who would come into our ministry in the throes of addiction, desiring recovery, and I knew when the meetings met in various church basements in the neighborhood. And so I would say, come, let's go. There's one that's starting in 10 minutes. Let's go to an AA meeting together. And we would go into that church basement and we would sit in a circle on some old metal chairs or plastic chairs, classic of church basements, and we'd sit down in that circle. And those of you who've been to AA meetings, you know how they start. They start like this. Somebody says, hi, my name is John and I'm an alcoholic. To which everybody replies, hi, John, welcome. That's right. And then John or whoever goes next can start talking about the struggles they've had this week. I love this. When someone begins with their biggest weakness, their biggest struggle, and everyone else just says, hey, how's it going? Welcome. Nice to see you. There's freedom then to talk about that struggle. Why? Because there is no condemnation at an AA meeting. There's no condemnation. This is different than most other meetings we go to, isn't it? (laughs) You don't normally go to a business meeting and sit around the boardroom table, and as everybody's getting settled into their seats, the person leading the meeting doesn't usually say, hi, my name is Sally, and I'm a shoplifter. (laughs) Hi, Sally. No. No. Hi, my name is Jerry, and I raise my voice at my wife. Why don't we do that at meetings? Well, lots of reasons, but partly because we know that we would be met with condemnation. But at an AA meeting, there's this beautiful environment in which there is no condemnation. Someone can lead with their biggest struggle, and everyone else simply welcomes them by greeting them. And then they can talk about the real things. They can talk about ways that they need help from one another. It's a beautiful environment. And actually, church, it ought to be the environment of Christian community as well. Some of you belong to life groups, Bible studies, where you have that kind of environment where you can sit down with each other these days over Zoom, but sometimes in living rooms, and you can just be open and honest about your sin, about your struggles, because you know the people in your group do not condemn you. You see what it said in our first verse of our reading today, Romans 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. This ought to be like an AA meeting where we could walk up to each other and say, here's the sin I'm struggling with. And the person we say that to would not condemn us. Why? Because we're looking at a person who is in Christ Jesus for whom there is no condemnation. Why is there no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus? Not because we haven't sinned. It's not actually even because we don't deserve condemnation. We do deserve condemnation for our sins. Rather, it is that Jesus Christ took the condemnation that we all deserve upon himself. He was condemned so that we could stand and say, There's no more condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. He was condemned on our behalf. So now that we can recognize that, let's talk more openly. Let's connect with each other about our struggles, about our sins. I'm not saying we need to start every church service or every sermon by saying, Hi, my name is Nathan. I'm a sinner. But we can can be be a little little bit more vulnerable, vulnerable, a little bit more authentic authentic with each other, other, talking about our struggles. We don't need to put our best selves forward because we know that there's no condemnation because Jesus Christ took our condemnation upon himself. As a pastor, I hear lots of confessions. People tell me they're deep, dark sins and secrets. I'm not sure I fully anticipated that when I was in seminary, how often that would happen. But I've learned to really value it and appreciated it when people can just sit with me and, and get it all off their chest. And I'm thinking right now of a time this man was sharing with me a, a big, dark secret that was in his life. And I noticed he was looking at He wasn't looking at me. He was talking to me, but he was looking down at his shoes and he was wringing his hands and he just couldn't look at me as he was explaining what was going on in his life, and he finally got it all out. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lift up your eyes and look at me right now. And when he was looking at me in the eyes, I said, the first thing I want you to know is that there is no condemnation. I don't condemn you. God doesn't condemn you. Now that that's clear, now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's talk about this sin you just confessed. Let's talk about how you got there and how you can get out of it. You see, no condemnation, the environment of no condemnation frees us up to really talk about our sin then. Talk about the patterns in our life. So let's do that for the next couple of minutes, shall we? The rest of the scripture, after starting with that amazing opening, there's no condemnation. The rest of the scripture that we're going to look at here for a couple of minutes talks about how we get into sin and how we can get out of it. So you guys ready to have that honest conversation? There's no condemnation. So let's talk about our sin. Look what it says in verse 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh... Set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. See what the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans, what he's showing us here is there's basically for the Christian, there's no condemnation. However, there are kind of two modes of operating. We can operate either in the flesh, he says, think of that as, as our sinful ways, in the flesh. Or we can operate, we can live according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, filling our hearts, filling our thought worlds. Notice it says it starts in the mind. Those who set their mind on the flesh will live according to the flesh. But those who set their mind on the Spirit will live according to the Spirit. Now, what does this look like? What does this actually mean to, to live according to the flesh, according to the, to the sinful desires of the flesh. There's actually another scripture I'm going to read for us that really spells it out. It puts some color on this exact same concept, and it's in Galatians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul wrote this book as well. Listen, he gives a, a description, like a laundry list, of what it's like to live according to the flesh. I'm just going to read this for us right now. And what I would love for us to do is give honest reflection. Remember, there's no condemnation. So just as I read this list that he gives in Galatians 5, think about any ways that our society, our community, reflects these things, lives these things. In fact, go a step further and think about, are there any ways you have lived any of these things over the last, say, week? Okay, here's what it says in Galatians 5. It says, the works of the flesh are evident... Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Enmity is just another word for hostility towards other people. Enmity, strife, jealousy fits of anger, did I see someone raise their hand when I said that, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now there's another word about you didn't think you were going to hear today when you came to church. Did any of those resemble anything going on in our community this week? Did any of those resemble anything going on in your own life this week? Should I read the list again? Guilty. Divi- <laughs> guilty. We got an honest man here. Divisions, rivalries, fits of anger, envy, drunkenness, immorality, sexual immorality. Wow. So that's the laundry list. That's how you know if you're operating in the flesh, according to the Bible. If you're operating in that sinful mode, if any of those things are evident in your life, you're operating in the flesh. But listen to what it says. This is a more familiar second half of that same paragraph from Scripture. That's the laundry list of what it looks like in your life if you're operating in the flesh. But listen to how it goes on, verse 22, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I would love to know if if any of us could look back on the week that we just lived through and if you could look back and you could say you know most of my days were marked by love joy peace patience did anyone have a really patient week yeah no Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, it might sound like I'm beating us up here a little bit. I'm not. Remember, there's no condemnation. That's how the scripture begins. We don't get condemned for recognizing that sometimes we lack the fruit of the spirit and we embody the, the fruit of the flesh. We need to talk openly about it. Because the solution is given right here. We might say, how do, I, how do I get more of that in my life? I want more love. I want more joy. I want more peace. I want more patience. I want more kindness. I want more goodness. I want more gentleness. And I need self-control. How do we get more of that? We operate in the flesh so much. Divisions, fits of anger, impatience. How do I get some of that spiritual fruit growing in my life? Well, the answer is given right here in our scripture. Verse 11, Romans 8, verse 11, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's how you get it. You get the fruit of the Spirit with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit power from God entering your heart, entering your mind, animating your actions like a tree bears fruit. Your life will begin bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit if God's resurrection power is in you. Do you want more love? Do you want more peace? Do you want more patience? Do you want more joy? You need one ingredient. And it's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit giving you resurrection power. He will bear his good fruit in us if we seek more and more of him. Now, I have to go to Galatians one more time because this is not quite the full picture of what it means to have resurrection power. If I just left you with that, if I just said, okay, guys, all we need is resurrection power, it's kind of like I've given you a little prescription, like take a vitamin water. Resurrection power. Take a vitamin water. You'll, you'll, t- you'll take it into your body, and it'll be good for you. But in Galatians, he paints a little bit fuller picture of what resurrection power and presence is, how we get it in our lives. Listen carefully to what it says in Galatians, which is a very similar scripture. Look to what he adds in Galatians. Galatians 5, verse 24. It says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see what Paul is saying here? He's saying, you want resurrection power? Great. But guess what? You don't get resurrection without crucifixion. And what is Paul asking us to crucify along with Jesus? The works of our flesh. That laundry list I read before, if anyone here resonated with any of it, the invitation this morning is to say, I want that part of me to be crucified with Christ. I came here to church today to let that part of me die so that I can experience the resurrection power, so that I can experience the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in my life like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We have to die to our fleshly desires. So how do we do that? I've been thinking about this a ton this fall. And I've been trying to examine my own heart. I've been trying to kind of have that Alcoholics Anonymous environment where I know I'm not condemned so I can be a little bit more honest with my sins. So I thought what might be helpful this morning, let's kind of create that environment right here, okay? I'm going to say, Hi, my name is Nathan, and I'm a sinner. And I want you to respond by saying, Hi, Nathan. Can we do that? Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Nathan, and I'm a sinner. Welcome, Nathan. Thank you. I'll tell you the sin I've been struggling with a lot this fall is basically um, grumpiness. It's true. It's not that sensational of a sin, I know, but it's really insidious, actually. I've been noticing it mostly when I drive the kids to school in the morning. I drive them every morning. We leave at 7.35 a.m., unless one of them is slow to tie their shoes, then I start getting grumpy about that. And I start to kind of get a little agitated, and I, I might even say something to them like, come on, let's go. We eventually do get in the car, and I start driving down North Street to school. And often, if we've left a little bit late, there's traffic. Man, is there a backup of traffic on North Street. And guess what that traffic makes me? Grumpy. While I'm sitting in that traffic trying to get my kids to school on time, I start thinking about all the stuff that's going on in the world, and I start to feel pretty grumpy about it, actually start to feel a little bit angry. I start to feel a little bit self-righteous. I start to look at all the political division and the strife and all the things that I read about in Galatians. And I start to kind of start judging people who have so divided themselves over politics. And pretty soon, I'm in a pretty self-righteous spot there behind the wheel of my car, feeling pretty good about myself and pretty bad about everybody else out there. And why won't this traffic get out of my way? When I hear laughter, I know there's recognition. And I'm feeling pretty grumpy. And guess what I realized a couple weeks ago? We were in a staff meeting talking about a Bible passage. And the Holy Spirit gave me this, this like clear message. It came you know, like a headline across my consciousness. And this is what it said. It said, grumpiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Grumpiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the flesh. When I'm in the car in the morning, I have so many things to be grateful for. The sun is shining, my kids are in a great school. I'm in a car. Do you know how many people on planet Earth would love to have a car at all? We have Christian music playing on the sound system, lifting praises to our God, and I have the audacity to be grumpy about it and judgmental about everybody else, and self-righteous about myself. And God says, that's not from me. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. Grumpiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. And so I'm learning, guys. I'm learning. I, I'm not perfect. Did you know that? Your pastor is not perfect. I'm learning to sit there in my car in the morning and start my day just being honest and aware. Thank you, Lord, that there's no condemnation. Jesus received the condemnation for me. Now let's talk openly, God, about the way... That the sin patterns of my flesh are affecting my day. And, and just want to get that out there. I just want to confess that to you, oh God. Now I want to ask that the same Spirit who rose Jesus Christ from the dead would come in and break through the grumpiness and the anger and the division, and the envy, and the strife, and the enmity. Come break in through all of that, just like you broke out of the stone and the tomb when the day Jesus came out of the grave. Come and break through my heart, heart,
1: and breathe your life
0: in me, because I I need it. I need it. I need it come on, church, let's just pray this simple prayer where we say, Lord, if I'm honest with you, I'm operating in my flesh, and I'm either grumpy or angry or passionate about the wrong things or worse. Now come, Holy Spirit, allow me to crucify my flesh with Jesus on the cross. I bring it to you today to let it die, and come breathe your resurrection life into my into my heart, into my relationships, because I wanna bear your fruit. Come Holy Spirit, bring love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Amen.